morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. As Joanna mentioned, this uh, is the year that marks our 30th anniversary as a church. And so as we begin this new year, uh, we are pausing uh, first to look back at what God has done among us and then to look forward with uh, renewed focus. Last week, we looked all the way back to the beginning, not just of the Seabreeze story, but of God's larger story, His story, or as we call it, history. We are part of a story that is much older and much bigger than just 30 years. And if we don't know this larger story, then we will become lost in our own time and place, and we will miss the opportunities that God gives us as we move into the future. But today we are going to look at the 30 years of history, 30 years in about 30 minutes. So we're going to cover some, some of the high points, some of the significant moments. The story of Seabreeze over the past 30 years has been like any other story. Every story requires um, a hand and a pen to write the story. There has to be a hand to write the story, an author who weaves the details of the plot and all the characters together to an end. And there has to be ink in which to record the story, even if the ink is digital ink. There's got to be some way to record the story. Now, the ink of history are the people who live the story in real time. They are the characters of the story. And it is the ink of their lives that flows out onto the pages of time and becomes history. God is the author. He is the hand of the the great story. It is his hand that is weaving all the details together towards an end. Now, right now, we are somewhere in the middle of the story. We don't know when this story is going to end, when God's going to wrap up history. So we're somewhere in the middle of this great story. And like all great stories... If you are in the middle of it, it looks somewhat chaotic sometimes. You don't really know how it's all going to work together. But if you're willing to wait till the end, it's going to be amazing. Now, we have been given a limited amount of time, each of us, a limited amount of ink in the pens of our lives to make a mark with on history. And this is why every one of us has this desire to, to do something significant with our lives, to make some kind of mark on the page of history that we get to be a part of that is really significant. But it turns out significance is measured not in the size of our impact. That's what most people think. If I can just make the largest possible size impact, then that's what makes it significant. But it turns out that's not really what makes something significant. It's not the size of our impact, but whether the one, the hand that is writing with the ink of our lives is our own hand or whether it's God's hand. The kind of impact, it turns out, that will endure into eternity, the kind of stories that will be talked about and will be read in eternity are written with the ink that has been used by the hand of God. If we just write our own stories, if we take our own lives in our own hands and do the best we can with it, we may make a big impact, but in the scope of eternity, it's going to be kind of just a big ink stain, not really a a story that anyone's going to really want to read into eternity. So the story of God is written by those who have decided to place their lives into his hand and allow him to direct the pages of their days. Now, what makes the story of Seabreeze unique is not that we are better people than anyone else. What makes it unique is that the hand of God has been on us these past 30 years, and he is the star of this particular part of of his story. We're just the ink. 2,700 years ago, a king by the name of Hezekiah called the people of Israel to return back to God. At this point in history, the Assyrian Empire had just torn through the country of Israel, leaving it devastated. 
but the economic devastation and the physical devastation was, was just visible. Uh, it was just the visible part of what was really true down deep, and that is the people had turned away from God some time ago. And the moral environment of the nation of Israel was in tatters. And it reflected the physical environment after the Syrian Empire devastated the nation. So King Hezekiah recognized that the root, really, of the problem was that the people were far from God. They had no longer placed their lives into his hand. And so he wrote a letter calling the people, his people, back to the Lord. And he sent couriers out throughout the nation. This is obviously before email and internet. And so he sent couriers out to disseminate this letter, this call back. And here's what we read happened in 2 in Chronicles, an Old Testament book, uh, chapter 30, verses 10 through uh, 12. It says, The couriers went from town to town, and Ephraim and Manasseh, <clears throat> as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem, the capital city. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. So there was very different responses. Uh, for the most part, a lot of people ridiculed and scorned. Now, so this, this passage could read like this. Most people scorned and ridiculed this letter that was sent by the couriers. They, the couriers would read this letter in every town and area of gathering in the, the nation of Israel. And as they read it, there was widespread scorn and ridicule of this call back to God. But some people we are told, humbled themselves. And with a unified mind, they decided to follow the king and return back to the Lord. But if you just mentioned that there was a divergent response, some ridiculed and some humbled themselves and followed God, that wouldn't really tell the whole story, what was really going on. The reason we are told that some people humbled themselves and with unity of mind, decided to carry out what the king was saying and return to the Lord, the reason some people responded that way is because the hand of God was on them. That was the real reason. It wasn't just a statistical something to record. It was the hand of God was on those people that decided to return to him. And it's the same kind of thing today. When, when God moves in people's lives, it becomes very evident that his hand is there. Seabreeze launched as a church on Easter of 1988. The total attendance on that day, the grand launch total was, adult attendance was six. Only one person, one new person showed up. The launch team was five. One new person showed up. So that didn't work, clearly. So the five-member launch team regrouped, did some more groundwork, and started again on August 14th of that year. And on that Sunday, 165 adults showed up. Why? Why the difference? Was a better mailer used for the August 14th launch? Yeah, it was. Uh, was there a better plan in place? Had more groundwork been done? Yes, that is also true. But that's not the biggest reason. Those are factors, real factors, but that's not the biggest reason. The reason is the hand of God was on those 165 people on that day. That's why they showed up. I mean, I get stuff in the mail all the time that I don't act on. So just because a mailer arrived doesn't mean people are going to attend a new church. So the biggest reason that 165 people showed up on that day was because God was at work in their hearts. That's always the way it is. That's why you're here today. 
And what I think was even more amazing in the Seabreeze story in the early years was that after three months, 130 of them were still there. Now, it's, it's surprising that 165 people came on August 14th, but I think it's far more shocking whenever people stick around and they unify around leaders to do God's work. That's even more unusual. That does not occur naturally. That can only happen when God, as it says in this passage about Hezekiah, when God gives people unity of mind. That's evidence of the hand of God. Now, whenever the hand of God is at work, whether it's in an individual's life or in a group, it always shows up in two ways. Sometimes the hand of God shows up as the gracious hand of God. In 446 B.C., a man by the name of Nehemiah was in exile in Babylon, and he wanted to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall of, of the city that he is from. His people back at home are living in fear with no protection, no wall around the city to protect them. Now, Nehemiah, like most of us, have two hands. He had two hands to work with, but the task of rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem was far too big for just him and his two hands. It would take thousands of hands to repair the wall. But that wasn't Nehemiah's biggest problem. His biggest problem was he was in Babylon, and the wall needed to be built in Jerusalem, and he needed permission to leave the king's service in Babylon and go to Jerusalem and rebuild this wall. Nehemiah was a servant of Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia. Now, one day, the king notices that Nehemiah is saddened for some reason, and the king asks why he is sad, which is unusual in itself. Most kings really didn't concern themselves with the emotional conditions of their servants. But for some reason, either out of the relationship or God's work in his heart, the king noticed, and he asks why. And so Nehemiah, we are told in the book of Nehemiah, shoots up a quick prayer. And then he makes a big ask of the king of the Babylonian Empire. And we read this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So Nehemiah ended up getting everything he asked for and actually far more. He even got a detachment of soldiers to protect him en route from Babylon to Jerusalem. Why? Was it because of the years of service that Nehemiah had spent in faithful service to the king? Well, definitely, I think that was part of it. There had to be some reason why the king was even concerned about why Nehemiah was sad. Was it because Nehemiah had a particularly good, sad face? Yeah, I, I think that's probably the case. He obviously, I don't know that he was putting it on, but he obviously looked pretty distraught, so that was a part of the factor of what happened. But that, again, that doesn't even begin to tell the whole story of why the king granted all these requests. It was, as it says in this verse, why? Because the gracious hand of God was upon Nehemiah. The evidence of God's gracious hand at work occurs whenever the story doesn't add up all by itself. That's evidence of God's gracious hand. When, when the equal sign brings far more than all of the factors that are being added together. You know, if you take Nehemiah's years of service, plus the request, plus a sad face, that never equals a detachment of soldiers, a letter of protection, and all of the building materials for the entire project that Nehemiah would need. 
You could never do that, Matthew. You would never expect that outcome. I mean, all Nehemiah asked for was a leave of absence. He didn't even ask for all of this. So why, why did it add up to something as surprising as this? Well, as it says in Nehemiah, it was the gracious hand of God was upon Nehemiah at this point. God decided to be gracious and add more to the equation than Nehemiah ever could. The same has been true for us as a church over the past 30 years. One example of this, I think, is this place that we're sitting in right now. We'd outgrown the library theater uh, just across the street over there at the Central Library where we, we had been meeting since 1995. And so we began to look for larger and more permanent facilities and space. And after a year of looking, it was clear that nothing was going to fit us. This is a map of the places that we looked at, possible places. And as we examined each one of these, nothing uh, was really going to work. And everything was way too expensive for anything we could afford. Now, this wasn't surprising. We lived in this area. We know how expensive everything was. But as we spent a year looking, we, at the end of the year, were fairly discouraged that nothing was going to work and everything was so expensive. So, We met together as leaders, and we decided that what we really need to do is narrow down our search area. Now, again, that makes no sense. You know, if you can't find anything in a a particular search area, what what you need to do is what? Widen the search area. And the reason we decided to do this is as we uh, looked, we we actually looked at at, at one place just beyond. You can see it right there in Fountain Valley. Those of you from Fountain Valley, I'm, I'm not putting Fountain Valley down, but it's on the other side of the 405. And you know the way beach people are, we're, we don't travel north of the 405 unless we have to, right? <laughs> <coughs> I mean, that's, you know, accuse us of being snobs, we are. But that's, that's the community that we're in. I mean, we're here for a reason. We would all live on homes on the beach if we could afford them. And we go as close to the beach as we could afford. And so we realized as we, we talked about this is, we actually needed to not just go south of the 405, we really need to get as close as we can to the, to the center of really where we were already. And so we narrowed our search now. And as a result, we began to pray in earnest that God would help us find a place. And three months after that decision, we got a call from a real estate broker who had just started attending Seabreeze. I had not even uh, met her yet. And she was selling a property to Lenny Limborg, the owner of the Racket Club, that was on this site. So here's the way that site looked uh, at the time. And as she was selling a piece of property in South Orange County to Lenny Limburg, the owner of this club, she found out that he was planning on uh, closing down the club, developing the land into uh, commercial buildings, just like everything around us is, and then sell the land. And so she asked him if he would be willing to sell this land to a church. And he said, well, if they can meet my terms, I'd be willing to consider it. Now, no one knew that he was interested in selling his piece of property. It was not on the market. In fact, my wife and I were members of the Limburg Racket Club here, and none of us as members had any idea that this club was getting ready to be be sold and developed. And during this period of time, as my wife and I were members of the club, actually, we would we would often pray for God to help us find a place while we were here. My wife would often be exercising in the, uh, the exercise room, which was uh, a room that was overlooking center court, and so she remembers often being on a treadmill uh, exercising in the morning, and 
she would be looking out on center court over there, and she would be praying, God, where in all of Huntington Beach could we find a place for us as a church? She remembers praying this as she was looking out in center court. None of us ever thought that this would be a possibility. And then I would, you know, I joined the club uh, mostly for the racquetball, not the tennis, but the racquetball. There was four racquetball courts here. And so I would play racquetball with several people. One of the guys I'd play with was a friend uh, here from Seabreeze. And often after our games, we would sit on the outside of the court, and uh, we would just catch up, we'd, and then we'd pray. And we would often pray, uh, not only about what was going on in our lives, but because of what we were doing as a church, we would pray uh, for a place for us as a church. And we would ask God, could you please help us find some place in this very expensive community that we live in that would be somewhere near the center of Huntington Beach? And so we'd pray for a place. It was about six months after we actually moved on to this site that um, this friend said, you know, where were those racquetball courts? Because, you know, the buildings were torn down to, to build all of this. And so I, I got the plans out, and I looked, and I overlaid them. And much to my surprise, the, the exact location that we would sit and pray is directly under where I stand every Sunday morning. And when I heard that, I was like... You know, only the gracious hand of God could do something like that. We couldn't plan that. We never would have planned that. So oftentimes, as I get up to speak, I remember I'm going to stand on the place where we prayed for a place as I speak. It's the evidence of the gracious hand of God among us. Now, Lenny Limborg, who sold us this land, made it very clear to me at the early stages that he was not a church kind of guy. I think the way he said it exactly is, don't expect me to show up in that church of yours anytime. He didn't want me to get the idea that he was selling this land to us because he had any, you know, real uh, belief in God or, um, you know, God reasons at all. And uh, so I, I didn't really want to ask or get into it because I didn't want to risk the negotiations. Uh, but once we closed on this property, in my last meeting with Lenny, I, I asked him, I said, so... Everyone I talk to who knows you just can't believe that you sold this land to a church. And so I just have to ask you, why? Why did you give us the chance and offer this property to us and give us a chance to buy it? And he looked down and he said, you know, um, in all of my years as a developer here in Southern California, there have been a few times where I've bought property of churches that have closed for one reason or another, and I've had to bulldoze a few churches in my day. He said, and every time I bulldozed the church, I felt a little bad. So he said, I thought, well, if there is a God, maybe I should, near the end of my life here, try to help one. And that's why he did it. Only God could have worked out that kind of timing. And only the gracious hand of God could have provided a place three blocks from the library. You know, so here's, here's where we ended up. You know, and if you were here, you remember the day that we moved onto this site, we parked in the parking lots over in the library, and we walked the three blocks over to the site. Only the gracious hand of God could have done something like this. And this is just one of many examples of God's gracious hand at work here at Seabreeze. Now, sometimes the hand of God shows up in a second way, as the strong hand of God. An example of this is a man by the name of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel is told by God to go to Babylon. So Nehemiah was going from Babylon to Jerusalem, and God tells Ezekiel to go to Babylon. 
But Ezekiel didn't want to go. So we read this in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 14. Then the Spirit, speaking of the Spirit of God, lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. Now, what does this mean? What, what occurred is God didn't wait for Ezekiel to work it all out emotionally and really desire to go to Babylon. He picked him up and moved him. Now, we don't know the details of how that happened. We don't know what that looked like. But Ezekiel describes it as if the strong hand of God descended from heaven and picked him up by the scruff of his neck and dragged him screaming and kicking all the way to Babel. That's the image that's being painted here. He had no choice in the matter. He didn't want to go to Babylon, but somehow God worked it out that Babylon was where he was going to go, even though he didn't want to. Now, why would God do something like that? Well, again, he's the author, which means he has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for the people around us. And oftentimes that plan can wait for us to kind of get on board with his and for our timing to get right. But every once in a while, in order for that plan to come together, you and I have to be at the right place at the right time. The problem is we've got our own set of plans. You know, we, we might eventually get around to addressing the area in our life that needs to change so we can be used by God in the way that he intends for us. We will probably eventually get around to doing what matters wo- most. We might eventually give God more than just our leftover money or our leftover thought or our leftover time. Maybe one day we will set aside our plan and our desires long enough to really listen to what God wants and Get in sync with what he wants. And God is very patient to us while we work in these areas. But there comes a time when, and this has happened several times in my life, and I imagine it's happened in your life, where God finally says, enough. And we, literally, we are dragged, kicking and screaming and often crying into the place of his choosing for the benefit of both ourselves and his overall plan. Now, I have to admit to you, when it comes to this particular location, a building even, I I never really wanted Seabreeze to own a building. If you had talked to me in the early days, you know, first 15 years or so, I I would tell you, I I don't don't really see a building in Seabreeze's future. And the reason is because I, I grew up in church life, and I knew what happened when churches constructed stuff. It was generally not a pretty thing. I knew the pressure that it would bring. I knew that it would invite conflict and attack. And I knew that the average pastor is gone just 18 months after a church does any kind of building. And I really wanted to stick around. But the problem is people kept coming around to Seabreeze and we kept growing and we needed more space and there was nothing else that we could rent. And so honestly, I was kind of backed into this. The circumstances kind of, well, the hand of God forced this. So I decided, well, okay, we at least need to look. And when we looked that first year and we didn't find anything, I never said this to the leaders, but on the inside, I was relieved. 
Well, we tried. You know, it's impossible. There's nothing that can be done. And then this place came up. And Lenny wanted $5.2 million for 4.7 acres. It's a fair price. The problem is we had raised by that time for our future building needs a total of $250,000. So we didn't have near enough money. And then to make it even more unlikely, we were told by the banks we were talking about how much we could borrow to purchase this property that an environmental study would need to be done. So here's a picture of the drilling that was done on this site um, to get a clean environmental study before the banks would loan us any amount of money. And in that process, we found out that this location used to be identical to the tank, oil tank farm across the street. This all used to be oil tank farms. And when the oil tanks were removed from this property and this whole section, it was at a time when the cleanup was not that clean. And so we were told, you know, it's almost impossible that you would get an environmental study that comes back clean. So they did, I think, 27 or 28 core samples all over the property. And every one of them came back clean. And honestly, I was scared at that point. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> here we go. Now, I'd love to say that we are here because of my great vision and faith and <laughs> tremendous courage. But the truth is, I was dragged here screaming and kicking and sometimes crying <laughs> in the quietness of my own house. But at a time of God's choosing, he picked up this entire church and moved us here. You know, here's a, a picture of our first gathering on Center Court before any of these buildings were built. He moved us here. And in the process, what I've noticed is that God didn't just rattle my own personal world. He rattled pretty much everybody's world that was a part of this process. Some of the individuals who were here at the, the time when we moved onto this site are no longer here. They're gone for a variety of reasons. And those of us that are still here, we, we lost some good friends in the process. And we faced some huge challenges. And as is often the case, when the strong hand of God moves in our lives, we don't always respond with a smile and an okay. We often respond like Ezekiel did, in anger and in bitterness towards other people, towards God. But God's plan moves on. When the strong hand of God moves, it's as if God is saying, you over here, you here, you there. Now you can cry, you can get angry, you can get bitter, but this is where you're going. And the sooner you submit to my strong hand, the better it's going to go. So we've seen the gracious hand of God in our story. We've seen the strong hand of God, the hard stuff. But then the last part of our story involves the ink of personal sacrifice. The hand of God never, ever writes history all by himself. He uses the ink of human resources. So in other words, God doesn't just materialize buildings and say, hey, why don't you move in there? God never audibly from heaven 
tells people now about his offer of forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ, the gospel. He, he doesn't broadcast that from heaven or drop leaflets. He doesn't just magically cause people to grow in their relationship with Christ. In every case, it's the ink of human time and human money that God will use to carry out his plan. It always is. And as I said, we all get a certain amount of ink in the pen of our life. It's like one of those pens where you you can't see how much ink is in there. You don't know when it's going to dry up. We've got now, but we don't know if we've got this afternoon or tomorrow. We never know how much is left. And so what we all have to decide daily is what we're going to spend our life on. Is it going to be our story? Is it going to be all about us? Or is it going to be God's story? Now, what do you do when you're writing and the pen goes dry? I know a few of you still use pens for a few things, so you probably have experienced this. What do you do when a pen goes dry? Do you stop writing? No, you look for a different pen, right? God does the same thing. His story will go on with or without us. The question is whether our ink will be on the pages of his story or whether we're just going to have a little pamphlet with our name on it. The reason that we're here today is because of God's gracious and strong hand, but it's also because 30 years ago, two people decided to pay a significant price to start Seabreeze. It wasn't because they had abundance of time and money to do it with. Like it often is when God picks up the pen of our lives, it requires personal sacrifice. So John Wooster and his wife Diane sensed that God wanted them to start Seabreeze. Sea here's, here's what they looked like back in those days. As you can see, they had four boys, two sets of twins, ages two and four. And I, can, I can already hear the groans, and that's, <laughs> that's accurate. No one in that situation has extra time and extra money, Right? But together with three others, a total of five on the launch team, they gave their tithe, the 10% of their income, to God in advance. And they used that money to start Seabreeze. Now, four of the five are here today. John and Diane Wooster are visiting with us. Uh, and then Ron and Crystal Budd are still members here of Seabreeze, four of the of the team that launched this church, John, the first pastor of Seabreeze, and his wife, Diane, and Ron and Crystal Budd. So I'd like you guys to stand. I think I see the Woosters right here. This is John and Diane. And that's Ron and Crystal. <laughs> we thank you guys. Now, theirs was the first ink written on the page of this church, but, boy, there was a lot of ink to follow. In year two, John and Diane moved up to uh, the Bay Area to start another church. And so for five months, Dale Graham, uh, here's a picture of Dale with his wife Jody back in those days. <laughs> Dale is still on staff with us, so many of you know Dale. But Dale paid a huge price in those five months while the church was uh, searching for uh, the next lead pastor after John. Dale paid a tremendous price uh, to lead the church in those five months. And then I became the second pastor back in 1990. Here's a picture of 
me and my family when we got here back in 1990. Now, shortly after I got here, I learned that the uh, church secretary was contributing money from her own savings account to help Seabreeze pay the bills. Now, nobody knew that was going on, and it's a good thing. If I'd known, I don't think I would have come. So like many good decisions in life, it's good that I didn't know all the facts. But God was in this. But it's amazing to me to think that, that she noticed that we were short, and so she just took money out of her savings account to help pay the bills for a few months. A tremendous amount of sacrifice to keep this thing going. If she hadn't done that, I, I don't know what would have happened. And then fast forward to back to this property story. I'll never forget meeting with Lenny Lindborg's agent to talk about the possibility of purchasing this property. As I said, the price for these 4.7 acres was $5.2 million. We had $250,000 in the bank. We thought, just based on initial conversations with banks, that we might be able to borrow about $3 million. That was a real stretch. And so he took those numbers and he wrote them down on a piece of paper with a pen, and he drew a bottom line, and he looked up and said, so you're short. <laughs> Greatest understatement of the day. He was right. I mean, we, we knew math. We knew we were way short. We knew that there wasn't enough ink in this pen to purchase this property. And so I, I said to him, I said, I know. I know we're short. But I, I would like to have the chance to at least go before the people of Seabreeze and just see what God might move them to do. And so they came back and said they were willing to enter into a 90-day escrow with $100,000 due if we weren't able to close on this property in 90 days. So we risked $100,000 to enter into escrow. So 20 of us leaders at Seabreeze met to discuss whether or not we should risk $100,000. And in that meeting, after a lot of discussion, we decided that if we didn't risk it, we'd never get a chance to see whether God would do this or not. So we decided to risk it. And at the end of the meeting, one of the guys that was in that meeting pulled me aside and handed me a check for $100,000. And my first thought was, where did you get $100,000? <laughs> I mean, there's still, th this couple is still members here at Seabreeze, and if you knew what he did, you'd say, how did you squirrel away $100,000? Where did you, did you steal? Do you have, this is yours, right? It was amazing. And that began, that moment began what turned out to be the most, so far, amazing 100 days of my life. I think I'll go to my grave. And probably the last thing will just, if you'll see my head just kind of shake, I'll be thinking about those 100 days. About 200 individuals and families here at Seabreeze gave $1.6 million in cash in 100 days. The largest gift was that $100,000. It wasn't that some very wealthy person decided to match whatever our gifts were. No, it was just all of us, giving what we could. I mean, people sold cars, some really nice muscle cars that they'd put a lot of money into. They gave retirement funds, some of their retirement funds. They dipped into home equity. They canceled vacations 
to be able to give. And we closed on this property in June of 2004, and we moved in on July 8th of 2007. You know, for about three years, we had this sign out front. We called it our $5.2 million sign. <laughs> it took us a while to be able to, to build on this side and move on. And by the time we moved on 10 years ago, or 10 and a half years ago now, much more had been given, and much more had been borrowed. And then we felt the strong hand of God. You remember what happened in 2008? The economy crashed. And then the contractor that had built this site at the end decided to sue us for more money. He wanted to make more money, and so he decided to sue us for more money. We prevailed in court, but it was two very long, stressful, and expensive years of legal bills. And then we had turmoil on staff for a variety of reasons. And about a third of the church left. You know, we, we were like that young couple that had stretched to buy our first home. We didn't, couldn't even pay for the furniture. And then we lost our job. It was kind of the way it was. And one of those loans came due, and we, we couldn't pay it. And we couldn't negotiate new terms. So a lawsuit was filed, and the court gave an injunction that gave us 10 days as a church to pay back the $320,000 loan or have our accounts seized. So at that point, I thought, well, we tried. It looked like the end. So on a Sunday, I stood before the church, and I told them the, what our situation was. A lot of people knew, but the entire church didn't know. And again, I said, I, I don't know what God's going to do in this story. And uh, some of us talked about what we would do if, you know, we lost this. We thought, well, we'll just meet under a tree out there in Central Park. I don't know if we would have done that, but we talked about it. And after that Sunday, in 10 short days, the people of Seabreeze gave $340,000 pay off that debt. And then piece by piece, year by year, we've been able to whittle away on the debt, and we are a long ways away from the financial challenge of those days. We're in really good shape financially. But you need to understand some of this history. I mean, if God has used this church to bless your life, it is important for you to know that this didn't just happen. I have to now drive by church locations and think, I wonder what that story is. I wonder how much pressure and angst and division and struggle and gracious hand of God stuff went into that. Because this stuff doesn't just appear. And I'm not just talking about the buildings. I'm talking about all the people that God has brought to himself through this church. It's been the ink of human time and effort and money that's allowed this to occur. So the gracious hand of God moved and the strong hand of God intervened. And the ink of personal sacrifice flowed so that you and many more like you might know Jesus and be blessed 
not only in this life, but in the one to come. Most people will leave stains of varying size on this world with the ink of their life. It is the greatest privilege to be able to use the ink of our time and our money for the hand of God to write his story, history in this place. And I've said this before, and I feel it very strongly. I, I will never, and I know you will never regret a single dollar given or a minute given to the hand of God. Now, God is not done writing his story here at Seabreeze. And so the question that I have for you this morning is this. Will you be one of those ones whose ink will be a part of what is written on the blank pages of time that is still to come here at this church? To that end, I I want you to consider uh, a few next steps as we wrap up this part of our story. They're... um, They're on the connection card. You can take out your connection card and look at these. They're on the front of the card where it says right there, my next step today is. So here are the next steps for you to consider. The reason for this is I I don't want you to think this is just a neat story to remember and feel good about. It is, but there's a purpose behind this. So I would encourage you, first of all, to take some time this week to thank God for his gracious hand in your life. Just look back. And, and look at the places where, you know, this didn't add up. I got more than I deserved. And then thank God for that. And then submit to God's strong hand. My guess is that many of you in this room um, are dealing with some anger and bitterness. And the reason is because the strong hand of God is moving. And what I've found is the earlier I can submit, the better it's going to go. I would encourage you to submit to the strong hand of God in whatever it looks like in your life right now. And then lastly, I would encourage you to spend, to decide before God, to spend the ink of your life on God's story in 2018. If you're a part of Seabreeze, it'll be here. But as you look to the future and do your planning, don't just think about how can I put my story together and my family's story together, but what is God's story and what is your part in it? And spend some time thinking about that and tell God that you're willing to spend whatever he wants you to spend in time and money on his story in 2018. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we have seen your hand among us. Those of us that have been here for most of these 30 years, um, we marvel at the great privilege of seeing you at work among us. Many of us, almost every time we drive onto this property, we, we just kind of shake our heads on the inside and just can't believe that we get to have a, a place in this community that is in so much need for you. As we look around, we see the lives of people who have been brought out of darkness into light. We see marriages that have been put together. We see next generations of families now offering the ink of their lives in service to you. And we are so grateful. And I pray that you would show each of us where it is you want us to spend the ink of our future days and how we can be a part of what you're doing in writing the future. We thank you for the past. 
And now we ask that you would help us to, to see clearly how it is you want us to sacrifice the ink of our lives for the future. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.